Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at www.rocksolidministries.org. Again, that's rocksolidministries.org. Our guest today is preacher Gillis Mullins from Mercy Christian Church of St. George's, Newfoundland, Canada. Rocksolid Ministries has held revivals with Gillis in both Newfoundland and New Brunswick. Beth and I and Greg and Lori have come to love Gillis and the people he serves in the name of Jesus. We've had to cancel all Canadian revivals in 2020 and also in 2021 because of COVID restrictions. We just wouldn't be allowed to enter the country. That being the case, this interview is being conducted via internet video conference. Although you only get the audio, I have the pleasure of sitting here face-to-face with Brother Gillis. We ask you to please bear with us because at times internet connections are not the best in St. George's. So, if you are ready, Brother Gillis, tell us your story. Well, thank you, Tom. It's good to have an opportunity to sit and talk about the things that, that God has done with me or through me over the years. I guess a bit about myself to get started with. I mean, I was I was born in Nova Scotia uh, in a very small little community. Everyone on the road there was, was either my grandparents or my uncles or aunts <laughs> or cousins. I mean, we're all related. But that was in 1964 when I was born, so I'm, I'm not... As young as I used to be, but still got some years left, I hope. Got two older brothers, older sister and a younger sister. Um, dad has passed away. Mom is still still there. But we did not grow up in a Christian family. We, we didn't grow up in a Christian home. There were no Bibles laying around the house uh, for years. I don't remember ever a Bible being in the house. And I used to go to Sunday school. Some. I had an aunt who would pick me up on Sundays and take me to Sunday school and stay for the church service and bring me home. But, you know, to think that we had prayer or we had a blessing before a meal or, or Bible studies or any, any kind of biblical knowledge, we just didn't have it. Now we had other family members, uncles who was ministers and, and various things, but we, we didn't grow up with that in our home. So, I always felt like I was a little behind the rest of my Sunday school class. I mean, they knew the stories and I didn't. So I, I think that perhaps gave me a little bit of a hunger to catch <coughs> up, a little bit of a desire to want to know what I had missed out on. But, you know, living living that way, I mean, that was the norm for, for our area for those days. Um, it was up in, in 1980, actually on June 15th, 1980, that I was baptized in a church. And it was a very typical baptism of the day. I mean, we all gathered on my aunt's lawn down at the lake, and we um, there was I think three or four of us was baptized. Now, where and where was that at? That was in Nova Scotia. That was yeah. just down the road from from my, my dad's house. Actually, my my dad's sister Stella lived there with her with her husband Earl. And we used to all the local churches basically would go there and, and hold their baptism services. Anytime there's a baptism, they'd go. And, and I mean, the lawns would be filled with people and there would be singing in a baptism and a little more singing in another baptism. And and years later, I remember joking with someone, they asked me, well, where were you baptized? So we drove through the community and I said, right there, right there on my, my aunt's lawn. 
well, you look out, the lake was full of these big lily pads and, and we had a yeah. lot of turtles and things in the lake. And I said, right between the turtles and the lily pads, right there. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, it's just the way we grew up, you know, and, and uh, today we have nice baptism tanks with heaters and hot water. <laughs> but it was, it was a, it was a beginning, you know, and sure. And, and very, a very humbling moment to think when I was walking out of that lake back up on the lawn and, uh, you know, you, you see your aunts and your uncles and your, your pastors there. And, and you know, you've gone from being a sinner to being plunged in the blood of Christ. Right. <laughs> and your sins forgiven. I mean, and that, that's a release, like nothing else in this world. That, sure. That's a, that's a joy moment if I've ever had one. So, I mean, that was 1980 and, and things, things were good. You know, I come up through the youth program there and, and, uh, was pretty involved in the church. And then it was probably, you know, sadly to say, it was about 1985, um, ended up walking away from the church because of church leadership and accusations. And it was just, there was a lot of stuff going on that wasn't good at the time. Mm. And it just, remember, remember getting to the point where I said, you know, if this is Christianity, if this is faith, I don't see why I need it, <laughs> you know, because things was just not, the way they should have been. That happens to a lot of people, doesn't it? Well, it, it does. And it doesn't make a very pretty story, but no. it's a reality. Sure. And I think, you know, the, 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 the purpose in retelling that story to people, because it connects with other people who think if they walk away from the church, they can't go back. Right. But, but God is always there. And those arms are always wide open. And that, that, that scripture verse still calls out to come, you know, and, mm. It doesn't matter what, what happens. And, and it's not, I hadn't turned my back on God. I hadn't turned my back on my faith, but just the way the church was being run at that time, it just was not, it's not a healthy place for me. Right. And so I, I went a few years. I mean, I went three or four or five years probably without going to church at all. And still was thinking, you know, like God is still, still wrestling with me, still waiting for me to do what he has asked me to do. So, I mean, that went on for some time. I mean, 1993, I got married and um, my wife's family attended the Church of Christ in Southville. I mean, you've been in Southville a number of times and yes. you know the families. And, it's, 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 oddly so, enough, it's near Weaver Settlement. So, yeah, <laughs> we always get a kick driving through Weaver Settlement. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So my wife's family, who live in Weaver Settlement, oh okay, in Southville, so we started then going back to the Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. See, I grew up in a Wesleyan church as a kid. Okay, and left in there to go to the Church of Christ. Once I got into the Church of Christ, it was a much much better fit, a much better feel about what was going on, um, a doctrine that I didn't have to question or ask about. I it was, you know, there, there's subtle differences in the two, but there are still differences. Sure. And really, the, the, the Church of Christ in Southville is the church that my dad would have grown up in as a kid, as a youngster. His mother would, would, would round up the kids, and there was a trail that would go around the end of the lake through the woods, and they would walk through the woods to get to church on Sunday mornings. But after mm. dad was, was grown and married, never ever went. I don't remember dad ever being in church. Wow. But that would have been 
in our past, our, our church, our church home. So we, we get involved with the church, uh, my wife and I, and in Southville, and I enjoyed it. I loved it. And I, we jumped in, you know, we, we jumped into the service. We jumped into the youth program, doing Bible studies, doing communion meditations, uh, whatever was going on, we were going to be there. And we had a change of ministers Had a young guy come who was now a professor at the college in PEI. And I decided that ministry is something I wanted to look at. Well, I was 36 years old then. Right. And, you know, I was thinking like, can a 36 year old guy go to college? <laughs> and, but we, we made that, that, that move. So your wife was supportive of this. <laughs> she was, she was. Uh, what I found out was, was years later and people were asking us that same question. And she said in the conversation one night, she said, I am just so glad when he asked me, I was back to him and he couldn't see my face drop when he asked me if I would move <laughs> to PEI to go to college. Oh my God. So it, it caught her a little off guard, <laughs> but, but no, she went and she was, you know, she was the creative one. She was the one that had more creative ideas of programs or ways of doing things. That's the and, case a lot of times with our wives. Yeah, it, it is. And, and sometimes they don't get the credit that they deserve for what they do for making us look good. That's right. <laughs> and so it was a lot of learning, you know, but we were there decided 1999, um, we packed up. And we left Nova Scotia and we headed for Prince Edward Island. Uh, we have a college in Prince Edward Island in Charlottetown. And I, I was enrolled in college and ready to start. Didn't know anything about PEI. Didn't know anyone living there. Didn't know the churches, where they were or the histories. We just knew that um, what God was saying to me was you get to college and there'll be there's work, you know, there's, there's work for the church. There's, there's work to be done in this world. Am I so, correct in saying that Prince Edward Island has more Church of Christ, Christian churches than uh, in that province than the other provinces in the Maritimes? I mean, it, it had more population of Christian churches, Church of Christ. It does. I'm not, yeah. I never looked exactly what the numbers are. There's a, right now there's about 32 Churches of Christ, Christian Church in the Maritimes, in Nova Scotia, and the Brunswick, PEI. Which is the majority in Canada. Is but that, most, okay. well, we've got a lot of churches in the West, like right. Alberta, oh, okay. Saskatchewan even. We have, another, there's another Bible college in Alberta. Right. Alberta Bible College in Calgary. But PEI seems like it's the heartbeat of the churches in Eastern Canada. Right. That's where our college is. That's, that's. Um, actually, that's one of my notes I had made here for myself, because when I went to college, we had to be involved in a church ministry as part of our program. We had to intern in the college. Right. The church that I interned with was Crossroads Christian Church in Stratford, which is just outside the city of Charlottetown. And that was the first Church of Christ Christian Church in Canada. I didn't realize that when I went there, but it was the oldest Christian Church in all of Canada. It started its congregation in 1810. So if we know our restoration history, Thomas Alexander Campbell was writing the Declaration Address in 1809 in Kentucky, 
Wow. And we had a church starting in Prince Edward Island in 1810. And we had the, we had the blessing of holding a revival there uh, early on in our t- travels to Canada. And actually, Brother Greg Strickland, who is now our associate, was not on staff with us, but we paid his, his ticket for him to fly out there and do the music for us. So yeah. we both actually got, uh, Lori didn't get to come, but Beth and Greg and I were all there and enjoyed a really good revival there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, you know, even like with the church, it, we didn't get at that time in the 1810, there was no communication between Kentucky <coughs> of the Restoration Movement and Canada. Yeah. John Stewart came directly from Scotland and planted that church. And John Stewart, the guy that started the church at Stratford that you and Greg would have been at, was actually baptized by the Haldane brothers in Scotland. So we wow. had the Scottish Restoration Movement wow. influencing Eastern Canada. And we've got several churches in the Maritimes that were started by Scottish churches. And it wasn't until later, 1830s, 1840s, before we really got much influence from the American Restoration Movement. And that came through their periodicals, through millennial harbingers and things that were coming out and right. periodically what made the connection. Now, can I jump off here for just a moment and say, because you really, you're just telling all this great history and I believe that you have written a book. Can, I have, can you tell I us, have. am I going to mess up your, the way you're, you're talking here? If I, I ask you to go ahead and tell us about your book. Well, again, that was a, that was a project for college um, Merle Zimmerman, Merle was the president of the college at that time and still taught a couple classes. So we had a class with Merle and it was on ministers work in life. So we were learning what it is to be a minister, to go out, to, to learn the, you know, the, the ropes of what we had to do. So one of our projects was to write a study program that we could use on whether it be a, a, a young, you know, a, a young adult or a teenager, someone who knew nothing about the church, nothing about Christ, how would you lead them through, you know, to go so they would understand? Right. So that was a project that I had to do. So I, I started off and, and it looks at basically the same as all of our other study guides. I mean, who is God? Who is Jesus? What is sin, repentance, baptism, confession, Lord's Supper? You know? Right. So it looks at all those, all those topics, a chapter at a time. I got a good review onto it from the professor. And years later, when I was ministering in New Brunswick, I, I thought, what a waste to have all that material there on my computer and not do something with it. So I had it self-published. And that way I thought, even if we just use it for our own youth group or our church, well, it ended up, I, I went through it as a study course through several churches in those days at the college. and later at in the where I was in, in ministry and I'm down I've only got a half dozen copies of it left so may have to look someday at getting some more copies made the title of but, it well when when we were in college I had listed it then or put the title down as insight for outsiders because we wanted to give people who sure. knew nothing information right and but when we had it printed I put the title onto it of um I said Leave it here beside me today, just in case we wanted to mention it, of where the Bible speaks, which is a good restoration slogan. Sure. 
of, you know, where the Bible speaks, we, we have to speak. Right. Well, that, that was just one of those uh, titles that seemed to fit right. And I, I think that sometimes we tend to be hesitant to speak, even if the Bible makes it clear because we don't want to offend and we don't want to create an argument or a scene or something else. Right. But if the Bible says it, then it's an absolute and we, we have every right to say it, to preach it and promote it. True. So it's, it was a project. It was a good little project to do and had a lot of fun with it. And well, I, a lot of people have enjoyed it. So I appreciate you gave me a copy uh, or sent me a copy. I can't remember, mail me one, but, but uh, I love the history of the church and, and that was a whole new perspective for me to to learn about up there. Now, I understood, and you might tell me if I'm right or wrong, because it's been a while since I've read your book, that uh, several of the churches in in the uh, Maritimes were actually, uh, were they Scotch Baptist that later came out of that and became uh, just Churches of Christ or Christian churches? Yeah. yeah, it was. The the Baptist church was fairly common in in Prince Edward Island, in New Brunswick, where I was. And the church I ended up ministering at, at Lotite, where I was for 14 years, just up the road from where the church was, was the original church. And it was a split from the Baptist church in town, yeah, which went by the name of First Baptist Church in St. George Parish. They split and started the second congregation, which was the second Baptist church in St. George Parish. They went for a while without a minister. They got a guy from northern New Brunswick area who came there to fill in, and it says that he did one revival and changed it to a Church of Christ Christian church in one message. Wow. And it's been Church of Christ ever since. So when that building was too small and they outgrew it, they built the new one where I was. So we we were that that congregation was a plant from the Baptist Church, but it turned into the Latite Church Christ. What amazing! That, I'm sorry. That happened a lot. That happened a lot throughout. Um, you know, because there was a shortage of ministers, there was a shortage of leaders. So there was a there was a huge shortage of of leaders in the Maritimes at that time. So whoever could come and lead a church or fill in for a time. That sort of became the the flavor of the church, the doctrine of the church. So whether they were Baptist or Church of Christ or Presbyterian, you, you kind of shared the pulpit with who you could get. Right. And over the years, a lot of the churches that failed was because they didn't have leadership and didn't have preachers there um, on a full-time basis. But it was it was quite a struggle. So they, they worked with what they had. Well, that's good. And uh, I was going to say a, a moment or so ago that what amazed me when I first came to Latite was that um, what, two kilometers away was another was Back Bay somewhere or fairly close, <laughs> I mean, two or three kilometers away, and then yeah. you hop a ferry to Deer Island and there's two more yeah. churches across, yeah. all in that area, and there's also one in town, uh, yeah. in 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 the community. So five of them in that small area. Uh, yeah which we don't find that in a lot of places in the States. No, but that's that's the biggest cluster of churches that we've got anywhere in the Maritimes. Really? And the one in, in town is the most recent. That was added probably in the 1980s or 90s, like it was fairly new. But 
that always confused me when I lived there too, of why there'd be so many. But the issue was when those churches were being built there in the 1850s, 1860s, there were no roads yet. It was all boat traffic. All right. Fishing boats would come across from Lubeck, Maine and come into the area to um, Deer Island. Deer Island actually had the first Christian church in New Brunswick over on the island at Chocolate Cove, which is between Leonardville and Lord's Cove churches, because the fishing boats would come in there. So, so that's where the fishing and that's traffic a, That church in. doesn't exist anymore, does it? No, that, that church is long gone. I never knew that there was another one there. Were there but before it changed, right. before, it, before it went down, Leonardville Lord's Cove was there. Chocolate Cove, is my understanding, went Baptist, and uh, then years later closed. <laughs> you know, so again, it, it, it had varied back and forth over the years. Right. But Chocolate Cove was the first one in New Brunswick. Uh, and, but it's, it's long gone. So when you're looking at Latite, Back Bay, and the two, like Leonardville Lord's Cove, it was because that's where the boats were coming in, the fishing boats and things. Right. So roads meant nothing. So it was wherever there was a good harbor to come in that they would, ah. they would pull in and set up a community or a village. The roads didn't come until they had electricity and cars. You know, it just kind of makes a big difference. Sure. Well, <laughs> you, was your first uh, full-time church, was that Latite? It was. Did you did you do any preaching while you were in college on, on a PEI? I did. Well, I, I interned at Crossroads, mm-hmm. which meant I was I was preaching there. Sure, you said that. Yeah. You know, on the rotational basis, and that was my first, I think, two years of college that I interned with Crossroads, and then there was a little church outside of Charlottetown, um, out in the community of Bradalbin. Bradalbin had a, a little church, and they hadn't had a minister in. 15 or 18 years. It was quite a while anyway. And, and they still wanted to hold service and they still wanted to keep the building going and keep the message flowing. So they had asked me to come out. Oh, like once a month or something and preach like Sunday evening service. Uh-huh. And that's all they had the Sunday evenings. So I would go and, you know, when, when you're a college student and you get a wife and a car and bills, you know, sure. $20 or $50 or whatever, I mean, that was a lifesaver. Oh, yeah. And so we used to go there. And then after a while, they, they just said, well, why don't you just come every week? Why don't we just say you're the intern preacher? So I thought, well, Crossroads has got a full-time preacher. They have a full slate of elders and deacons. And, you know, they sure, they could use me, but Bradelbin needed someone right so the need was better than you know the alternative so we shifted and went there and so i went every every sunday night and would have a service and we had a couple other other people that would come in and do music and various things so it was a pretty good little little evening and that's actually where i had my ordination service was at redalvin church and that place was standing room only it was packed and and it was the first it was the first ordination service they had in there in many, many, many years. And mm. it was a, it was a, a really, it was good to see so many people there, so many preachers who were there and college professors there and family, you know, family actually came. My mom came over and was really? there and it was, it was a pretty proud day to, to know that you had, you'd gone through your program, you had studied, you had applied yourself, you would, you know, you were marked for life to 
be a preacher. And so that was. So you had a lot of, a lot of folks from the mainland came over too. We did. We had quite a few. And that's, that was no small thing, but back then the the Northumberland bridge was not there, I guess. No, it was there. It was there then. It had opened. I'm not sure what year the bridge opened, but when I went to college, the bridge was there. So it was in the late nineties. I think that the bridge opened. Okay. And, and how long is that bridge? Uh, it takes about 15 minutes of driving right. to cross it. Yeah, we've, we've in, in terms of kilometers, I'm not sure, but it's, it's, a, it's a massive bridge. Well, I, I, I find this really interesting that, that it's like PEI wants to keep you because you can cross the bridge for free going to PEI, or you can take the ferry that uh, takes, what, about an hour and a half or so, yeah. uh, and that's free. <laughs> But it costs you a lot to drive the bridge back. <laughs> They're going to get your money when you're leaving, or to take the ferry back. So, yeah, I think right now it's forty eight dollars for a car. Yeah, to come back off the island, like is yeah. yeah. And and that's that's less that's less expensive than the ferry. Is that not correct? I think it is. I yeah. it's been so long since I've crossed the ferry. I'm not sure what their charges are now. Seems like last time we went. We were in a position where I said, well, we can take the ferry over and uh, we can experience both. We'll take the ferry over, yeah. but it's cheaper to take the bridge back. So we'll come back yeah. on a bridge. Yeah. So uh, yeah. and I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not just real keen on on long, tall bridges, uh, but <laughs> uh, especially when they have wind warnings. But oh, yeah. Northumberland Straits, but I, yeah. we did enjoy it very much and, and very yeah. much enjoy being with folks there. So go ahead. Where where do you where do we leave off? Well, we were from from 2003 when I graduated at the college. So then I had to pick a ministry someplace. You know, where are you going? What are you going to do? Right. The church in New Brunswick, the the church at Latite where I I went, uh, they they were looking for someone and they sent a message to me that wanted me to come and try out. So I went I went to uh, the church there at, at Latite, which is about halfway between St. John, New Brunswick, and the American border at Calais, Maine. Right. So we went, we tried out, and everything seemed like it was a good fit for us and for them. So we started there in, I guess, August, September of 2003. So that was right after graduation. And so that was, you know, my wife and I were there as a couple. We, we set things up. We got things going. And, and then four years later, she passed away. And I mean, you, you talk about being involved in something, you know, it was still kind of the honeymoon time for the church as far as, you know, we were just there three and a half, four years, just getting settled in and getting life figured out. We were brand new with this, you know, like I was, I was 44, 45 years old, but I was still a new preacher. And all of a sudden the creative one, you know, your life partner is no longer there. And I know that had to be really hard. It was hard. It was hard because, you know, she was, like I said, she was the creative one. She was the one that put in countless hours of preparation time. If we were doing crafts and games, I mean, she got all that stuff ready and she worked day and night on that. So, I mean, she deserves a huge amount of credit for that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I quite, quite honestly, I mean, I, I sat there day after day and thought like, do I still have ministry in me? Yeah. Is there still something left for me? I mean, I, I'm, I'm alone. I'm, you know, when I look at myself, like I'm not a musician, I'm not a singer. I'm, you know, how do you do a women's ministry? How do you do, 
And a good friend of mine uh, from Halifax said, you, you need to get away. You need to take some time and go away somewhere. And that was my first trip coming here to Newfoundland. I came over here and went up in Grossmore National Park, did some hiking, did some prayer walks and thinking and, and figured out that God still had a purpose for me. Yeah. My work wasn't done yet. We had hopes and dreams that we hadn't yet accomplished. And there were people that still needed encouragement. And, and that's where I, I decided and you know, kind of figured out and, and really got comfortable with the idea that God doesn't just call the people that's qualified. But God qualifies the people that's willing to go. That's right. And if I'm willing, God will give me the ability. If it's not my wife that's been the creative mind, it'll be someone else in the church that's the creative mind. Right. You know, God will still provide. And But that was, you know, human human way of thinking is that I don't know if there's anything left in the tank. You know? Right. Well, yeah. certainly. And, and what year, was, again, what year was that? 2007. 2007. So we we went there in 2003. So that was four years into our, our first ministry. Right. And, you know, there I find myself alone. And it, it was it was devastating. It was, it was hard. And, you know, we, we did the funeral in Nova Scotia, went home to our, our home communities. And, and I had some people questioned me somewhat because I didn't stay there long at, in Nova Scotia. I, I returned back to New Brunswick and, and someone said like, well, but why did you go back so, so quick to New Brunswick? It's like, if there's ever a time that I need a church family, it's right now. You know, it was, right. it was that moment. They were hurting as bad as I was hurting. And I thought we needed to get through some of the tears together. And I mean, I, I am so thankful for my church family that I had there, you know, because mm it was a big transition time. And they, they told me, take as much time as you want, you know, do, do what you need to do, but you know, come back healthy and come back strong. That's really um, good. A lot uh, some churches would not do that. It shows a yeah. lot of understanding. It did. And, you know, I mean, life was not perfect and, and, and ministry was not perfect. We didn't always get things right, but I, I was very thankful that in those times that they were very, very understanding and so after we got through that, then I, I spent from 2007 until 2004 and 2017. So I was there 10 more years right. and still accomplished things, still, still felt like I was moving ahead. And uh, then, you know, some things took place there. I mean, I've, um, I've always been fascinated with other, other cultures, other, other places, other you know, missions. I, I love missions could never quite understand why most of our churches was always the ladies missionary society. And it's never the men's missionary society <laughs> Yeah, because the missionaries who come and they talk to the ladies and say, well, what happened? Like what, what's going on? But I've always loved that. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm sure I've told you over the years, the missionary journey that I went on. Well, share and, a little bit about that. Cause that's a wonderful story. Well, that, that again is one of my life changing times. I, I believe that was, that was in, in 2012. Uh, I guess, I guess to tell it properly, you have to back up a bit. I think it was in 2000, probably 2000 or 2001 while we were still in college, we went to Indianapolis one summer. Uh, we had a friend of ours. She had been our minister's wife in Nova Scotia. Um, 
Dave Mangold was our minister. He got sick and, and moved back to the States. So he eventually passed away, had leukemia. So his wife, Sue, invited us to come down and spend the month with her. And she was going to give me some of Dave's books and library and whatever. So we went down to spend the month with, with Sue in Indianapolis. We, she was attending at Cumberland Christian Church in Indianapolis. We spent a month there. One Sunday while we were there, they had a guest speaker who was Dr. Bill Becknell. Dr. Bill oh. Becknell had been a, a surgeon from Kentucky, and he gave that up to move to Moscow to open up a, a mission, Agape Unlimited. And I was absolutely fascinated with the story, absolutely just, you know, speechless as he was going through what he had, had set out to do, what God had set out to do through him. So when the service was done, they, they just asked, does anybody want to take Dr. Bechtel home and feed him lunch before he goes off to the next place? So Sue looks at me and says, I'll go home now and start cooking. You bring him with you. <laughs> so I took Dr. Bechtel back. Uh, Sue, I don't know if you said who Sue, did you tell us who Sue is? Oh, Sue, uh, Sue Mangold. Sue was, okay, Dave Mangold was our minister in Southfield when I first started going to church there seriously. Right. And Sue was his wife. Right. Uh, Sue Mangold. Okay. So, so she had been our pastor's wife when I first started going to the right. church when I was married. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't, I didn't know that you had given us her first name. Maybe you did. And I missed that. And, and I got her last name. So I want to make sure we, we were on the same track. I'm sorry. Okay. Please well, go I'm on. sure there's, there's probably some people that may listen to this. that'll probably recognize those names of Sue oh, and Dave sure. Mangold. And, and so, so we went down. So, so we spent, I spent the day or that most of the afternoon with Dr. Becknell oh. and was just, you know, overwhelmed that you could ask him anything and he could tell you, and it was just, it was so, so interesting. I kept in contact with him and followed his ministry. In 2012, one of the church, one of the guys from the church where I was, um, along with myself, we went to Russia and we met up with Dr. Becknell in, in Moscow and we went on one of their expeditions. Uh, we actually was part of a team that was going and we flew from Moscow going east. We went as far as Mongolia, then went north by plane we get in a boat, went 500 kilometers by boat up the rivers, doing mission work to okay. small native communities. Was this in Siberia? That was in northwest or north central Siberia. Okay. We were up nearly to the Arctic Circle when we were through. Wow. And from there, we we took a helicopter to get to the last village because these were these were outports where nobody had ever had been in a long time. But again, like we thought we were taking the gospel there. And yet when we got there, God was already there. And it was already evident that God was already there. And the the very first village, you know, they're all, they're all, all Russian language. So we had to have translators. And the first village, <coughs> one of the first people I met was a, a blind lady. She was born blind. Her son walks in with her on, her, on his arm. She wanted to talk to the, to the missionary. There was no church in that village. There was no doctors. There were no nurses. There was no medical aid stations. There was nothing. And, and she's through a translator says, I'm old and I'm tired. But if you can just pray for me and ask that God would take me home, I'm tired. Huh. Well, where did the notion of God come from in the village that's never had a church and never had a missionary and never had an evangelist come? You know, so God was already there because she knew that if she could just get a hold of God's person, wow. she would be near to God. So it changed who I was. It humbled me in many ways. And, you know, so when we came back to Canada, 
that was a, a, a life-changing expedition. And yet God had, had sent us there for a purpose. He used us while we were there and brought us safely home. But I guess that's why I always tell people now, I mean, if God gets a hold of you, hang on. I mean, hang on tight. Yeah. Because you don't know where you're going to be, <laughs> what he's going to be like, but you're going to be on a trip that is, you know, unbelievable. Well, I actually, uh, it's been long enough that we've known each other that you probably don't realize that, that I, uh, we were praying for you on that trip because we did our first revival with you in 2010. And then uh, we did revivals through, I think, uh, at least Beth and I did through 18. Uh, Greg may have come in 19 and then we had COVID. I was supposed to have been yeah. there last year and at Latite and, and, uh, and I think I was supposed to have been with you last year too, uh, uh, where you're yeah, at. I and, think so. And uh, hopefully in a few years, maybe we'll get to come back. Uh, yeah. We'll just have to see what the, what's happening in the world and what, they, what governments allow as far as crossing lines. Yeah. But, yeah, we pray for you, and I was amazed at all the pictures you, you put up and, and uh, yeah. the, the evangelism that was done while you were there. It's an amazing story. Well, when you're this young guy that's born in, in rural Nova Scotia, and you'd never think that the world is going to spread out before you, that you can be these places. You know, that was, I had only flown once before. I, I had a short flight one time. We had 13 flights on that one journey. We had helicopters, we had buses, we oh. had boats, we had, oh. you know, we traveled. Um, we were flying to Toronto and we ended up in a thunderstorm. We landed in Buffalo. So I got to go to the United States. <laughs> Toronto, back to Montreal, back to Ottawa, like, and that shouldn't have happened. But then, you know, you flew, we threw, flew Germany, we came back out through Switzerland, and like, it's just like God had our, our our backs the whole way, and you know, it was a tremendous ordeal that we went through as far as travel and journeys, and we were exhausted, and but it changed us. It it, it definitely changed us and who we are and what our ministries looked like since that. Well, you talk about going into the wilderness of Siberia. Uh, some people might think you're in the wilderness now. Well, I, I think some probably do. <laughs> how did you get? How did you end up getting there? And explain the, the the location you're at and why you chose a location that doesn't have the largest population. I think you had some interesting reasons for that when you went there, and we talked a lot, but. Uh, share about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Or uh, have I have I taken you away from something else you wanted to talk about? No, no, well, no that's good. That's good. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> I knew I knew when 2017 was coming that I would be leaving from the church in New Brunswick. I knew that ministry was coming to an end. So we were going to have to look, or I was going to have to look at at a second ministry, a second place somewhere. And again, it's. It, there's many times in life that it's like you come to a roadblock and you don't really know where to go or, you know, the, what, what direction do you do? We didn't have very many churches locally that was looking for ministers at that time. It was a pretty dry spell. Ministers were staying put. So there were very few opportunities. And, but I've always figured in my mind that if there's not a job opening out there for you, create one, make right. one. <laughs> You know, don't sit down and wait for someone else to come along and say, hey, come and do this for me. Go be creative and, and, and trust God. 
And I'm sure you remember the night that, that uh, you and Beth and, and Greg and Lori were over at Montague having the revival there in Prince Edward Island. And, right. and Susan and I came over and we, we were at the Tim Hortons in, in Montague after the service. And, and I forget whether it was you or, or Greg asked me, like, what are you, you going to do after you leave New Brunswick? And it was the first time I'd actually voiced the idea that if and I remember saying, if if I was to do what my heart tells me, I would go to Newfoundland and start a church. Well, Newfoundland is our easternmost province, and it was the only province in Canada that did not have a Christian church, a Church of Christ. There was none. Right. We we have one here back in about 1995, and it lasted until about 2000. But it was in St. John's, which is the opposite coast of our, our province, right. ten hour drive away, and it's no longer there. So it sounded like a pretty wild idea to start a church where there was no churches, uh, to get the funding to go, to get the nerve to go, to get the, you know, we had to go and have a name. We had to have nonprofit status. We had to have charitable status so we could give receipts for income tax or offerings and things. And those paperwork, they flew through government offices with no problem. Wow. And we were amazed. So we kept saying, you know what, like, like God is, is, is delivering these papers to the person with the rubber stamp that is in a good <laughs> mood <laughs> because some of these, some of these we were told could take two years to get the approval for. Oh yeah. The, government paperwork and red tape with these type of things takes a long time. Usually. Well, I had never, like I had never set up a nonprofit group. I had never written the full constitution for a church before i never set up a board of directors that would represent four provinces before we did it, submitted it to our federal government and they messaged back and says, well, if you could change this phrase, we can do it. Wow. It was like a, a phrase that they wanted us to explain what you mean by ministry. That's all it was. Hmm. So we had list instead of doing ministry, we were saying, okay, we're going to have worship services and we're going to have youth programs and we're going to have, you know, so, they wanted it exactly specified. Right. And that's all they asked us to change. So I've been over here when my wife passed away, I came to Newfoundland. And so I've been vacationing here in St. George's for that's 2007. So 10 years. So I, I knew a bit about the area. I knew there was a, a tremendous lack of churches here. And so I started praying like, God, like where, where is this going to be? Newfoundland, has, it's our easternmost province. There's about 520,000 people as of 2000. I think the census was 2016. But there's just over 500,000 people without a Church of Christ Christian church. Predominantly, we're Catholic. Um, and so anyway, after, after much, much prayer, um, I felt really really good that the decision would be that we'd do it right here in St. George's. And it's a small area, but there's people here that need to know that the church is here for them. And the Catholic church wasn't, wasn't proven that. Right. So I had bought property here way back when I came the first year. And so I thought, well, why couldn't this be the place? Why couldn't this be it? And I wrestled with the idea that, there's not a lot of work right here. I mean, there's work 20 minutes away in Stephenville or in the bigger cities, but, but I thought, you know what, the people right here 
are the people that are hungry for something that need the gospel. So I, I drove through St. George's several times looking at buildings, properties to see where we could have a church home. And it was strange that on my first pass through town, I thought that's the building right there. It was the seniors club, the seniors building. And I started inquiring. The seniors hadn't used the building, hadn't been inside the building in three years. They weren't using it. There were so few seniors, they couldn't pay the taxes. They couldn't pay the the rent, or the, not the rent, but the the water bill. They couldn't pay the the light bill. Right. So they were going to walk. They were they were about to give the building to the town just to get rid of it. Oh. So I came and talked to the last president of the seniors group, and I just said, you know, if you're not using the building, could we work out something? Like we'd like to start a church here, a Protestant church, you know, Church of Christ that we can do ministry for the, for the kids, for the seniors, have a food program, do, you know. And she says, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> she's, she's a longtime Catholic member. Yeah. And the Catholic church is just down the street from me. But she says, that sounds great. Wow. We pay no rent. We pay no, nothing like that to them. As long as we pay the heat, the light, the the tax bills like we pay all the expenses right and we've had the building so we had a church home we had some renovation work to do because they hadn't been in it for quite a while so we we you know fixed up the interior but luckily i could do the gyp rock and i could do the painting and i could do the plumbing and so we did all that came in and, and she would keep coming in once in a while look at the building and just thought it looked great and so we we started having services and, you know, it's been, it's been, it was, it was going really, really well. And of course, COVID has really put a damper on everything everywhere. Sure. You know, that we're only allowed to have a few people and, um, you know, we had grown, we had grown our, our kids program where we had 16 to 18 kids coming every Wednesday, local kids. And seven or eight of the parents would, would ask if they could stay because, like the, the trouble, I was actually almost having trouble because the kids, we had them all seated around the table and I'd be there trying to do an object lesson or a story, you know, with a biblical meaning for it or, right. or tell them a Bible story. And the parents are wedging in between the kids like, oh, we, we want to hear, we want to hear. <laughs> so I thought, that's a problem that I just love. I, just, I sure. love that. So we had our helpers, you know, that was going to help us out. We would have as much as 30 people on a Wednesday night like with kids and adults to listen to Bible stories and games and music and, you know, and even like we were up 20 to 22 on a Sunday morning in, in worship service. And we were having like eight or nine to an adult Bible study. Um, you know, and it was, it was just every week it was growing. We'd have, we'd see some new people come or go and it was like so encouraging. And then COVID came and just kind of, put us on hold yeah. and you, you have your hands tied or you can't do anything. The Catholic church is closed. The, we even for a while, the, the local food bank in Stephenville, we can't access it because of where we live. We're too far from it. We're outside your service district. They even closed the food bank during the pandemic because it wasn't safe to have people in. And in your These, area, people need that. You have a lot of low income, very low income people, right? Very low income. They, there are. 
And see, the other thing with St. George's, which I didn't realize um, to one degree, St. George's is about 75 to 80% Native families, First Nations. Right. So it's a high population of Native community. And, but there's a lot of people here that live on low income. So it's, it's a very different group of people than what I've ever worked with. They're good people. I mean, really good people. Right. But it brings a whole different realm of, of issues, uh, you know, that you, you deal with. Right. But still, it, it, it still shouts to me that they need God. Sure. That's, that's still the foundation of it. They still need God. Um, Sometimes I think today people start churches and they only want to go to the cities or the big suburbs. And, yeah. uh, and I think a lot of that comes from, from, from pride, which uh, Paul told the Galatians, you know, we need to stay away that, from that kind of thing that uh, not, we don't need to let that take over and, yeah. and control us uh, or we're going to grow weary. <laughs> and, and uh, we want, we want to go there because, well, hey, we, we can grow a big church as population, you know, and and yeah. and uh, people don't think that people in small communities, they need Jesus, and we need we need churches in small communities that may never grow more than a uh, hundred people or fifty yeah. people, and yeah. and we need multiple churches of this size. Well, that's that's my thought. You know, we'll we're never going to be a big church here. And financially, we're not taking in much money from here because people are having trouble to put food on their table. Right. Like that's that's another issue that I never really thought about. I didn't realize how low the incomes were. But since I've been here, okay, I've been here for four years now. In a four-year period, there's been between 30 and 40 adult suicides within an hour from me. Wow. If I drive 30 minutes either way in that block of, of space, these are small communities. There's been 30 to 40 adult suicides. We had two last week, a 41-year-old mother, two children and a husband just couldn't put up with the pandemic and couldn't put up with life no more. We had a 60-year-old man. And it's become so common that we hear about another suicide that you almost get, so now it's like, oh, well, how old was it? You know, how old was the person? Rather than the grief of we've lost another one. It's, there's no hope. And they feel like they're backed in a corner. Right. And they don't know where to go. Like, they're, like the Catholic Church here, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything bad about their community. I mean, I love my community. But they're not getting help from the church. They're not getting counseling through the church. They're not getting children's programs through the church. So there's a disconnect. Right. So we we come along and our, our big thing here, or my big thing here is to sometimes prove that we are not them. Right. Well, that we, we do care. And I have a good relationship here with the chief of the first nations, the first nations office just down the street. And like we're hearing a lot now about you know the slogan "Every Child Matters," um, and the reason for that is Newfoundland or all of Canada actually has had residential schools on the First Nations land for years, right. starting way back in the 1800s. I heard on the news this morning they found another 120, so that puts us at about 1,200 children 
in unmarked graves on residential school properties across our nation. And they're still finding more. Well, when that is announced here, it's gut-wrenching because we're First Nation people. Right. And there were First Nations residential schools here. And there was a a boys' school here. And at the boys' home, um, it ended up being closed. But it ended up being the largest case of sexual abuse in all of Canada. And I deal personally with the survivors of it here. So when these things break the news, our community cries, our, our community weeps, you know, because it's sure. it's their history, it's their people, it's their, their family, and they are not finding God anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we come along, and if we listen to them and we're sympathetic to what they say, you know, which we have to be, sure. because it's horrible what, what's happening, but that says to them that we care and that we're real and that we want to introduce them to Christ who will right. make a difference. So it's, it's a hard place and it, it, it gets to my head too, you know, like after mm. a while, but you know, when, when God calls us into a ministry, we can't say exactly what that ministry is going to be. I can't dictate to God, I'll go, but don't send me there. I can't, <coughs> you know, God qualifies us for our ministries. Yeah. And you know, like I, I have been so appreciative over the years of, you know, having you and Greg mm. who have my back, who, you know, who, who pray for our ministry and support our ministry in all ways. And that that is something that, you know, even if we don't connect real often, you know, it's happening. You right. know, it's taking place. You know that. Sure. And, and you know, it's without that. You know, you, you just might want to pack up and wander off. <laughs> well, I had to think that Siberia had to prepare you somewhat because our listeners don't know that it's a, uh, is it a 10-hour ferry ride from northern Nova Scotia to get to the island? Is that right? Well, if if you go from Nova Scotia, like from Cape Breton, over to Argentia, which is near St. John's, it's 12 hours or so. 12 hours. Ferry. 12 now, hours. if you go to Portobasque, which I'm closer to Portobasque, then it's only about seven and a half. <laughs> okay. But then, and you talked about in, in Russia being close to the Arctic Circle, you get to looking at a map, brother, and you're not that far <laughs> right nope. now. Nope. So nope. It's, uh, it, it's pretty, pretty wild when you think about it. But, I mean, there, we, we were looking at native kids. Like, we were looking at people who still survive in the woods roping and riding reindeer. Well, we don't do that here, although we do have caribou here. So it's kind of, wow. kind of, so we were dealing with people that have been long forgotten, you know, and, but we were there to introduce them to, to the gospel and some of the churches or some of the communities we were in had churches there, but still when you, you come back to here and you realize, you know, that even in what we would say is the void of space, you know, in, in these communities that spread so far apart, God's still there. God's still yeah. working in those people's lives. I mean, they had an understanding of God that came from somewhere. Right. So that's God puts that in us. I believe that that's, that is inbred in us to know that there is a God. And that's why I always say when people say, I don't believe there's a God, I'm an atheist. I think, you know, something inside you is telling you, yeah, but there, there really might be because (laughs) I I believe that's in in all of us. Well, you're, you're there. Uh, You've got, you've got your church family and you're starting to get back together 
being allowed to do that. And and uh, I might say to our listeners in in the U.S. We have listeners all over the uh, all over the globe. And I never say this, but I want to welcome the people from France and United Kingdom and Australia and Belgium and Germany. And I'm trying to think of Ireland and all the places where they're listening in 46 states um, and uh, more provinces where you're up, uh, where we've never even been up there, uh, that uh, you're there, uh, though you've got your church family, but I was going to say that the, the uh, Canadian government has been pretty tight and and uh, uh, there, there are certain freedoms that, that maybe uh, some of us take for granted that maybe aren't there where you're at, and we won't go into all that, but you're there really ministering on your own by yourself since your wife's passed away. You do have a board that's supportive, but they don't live there. And no. and uh, uh, I'd like to ask our, our listeners, if they would, uh, to pray for Brother Gillis and the work of Mercy Christian Church. And uh, you never told us how you got the name Mercy Christian Church. We ought to get that. We're, we're running close to, to, to time to shut things down here. But, but how did you get the name Mercy Christian Church? Well, the way the church building is set up, when I look out the front window of the church, which is right behind the pulpit area, I'm looking at a road sign or street sign. We're actually located on Main Street in St. George's. But the street that turns like six feet beside the church is Mercy Street. Uh. So I'm on the corner of Maine and Mercy. So that that's kind of a God so thing there, isn't it? <laughs> when we're looking at the name, I said, where would we be without God's mercy? Right. God's mercy is what brings us to our knees. You know, it's it's because that God had mercy on me and loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved. Mm-hmm. So I said, mercy is, is our freedom. Mercy is our hope. And so what better name for our church than Mercy Christian? Amen. So, yeah. That's that's why we've got that night that name. Is there uh, anything else you'd like to share before we uh, finish up here? No, I I think that pretty well takes up what what I put down on my notes or what I put down <laughs> on my paper that I thought I wanted to cover. Um, you know, it's just there's there's one bit of information or advice I usually try to give to our young people when they're graduating or going off to make their own experiences in their own lives. And that is, you know, for whoever's out there listening and and thinking about it, you know, don't ever sell yourself short of who God wants you to be, but don't forget who you are. You know, we come from small towns, we come from small villages, but, you know, God might need you someplace for a task that you might think is, you know, insignificant, but it's not insignificant to the person that you've shared the gospel with. Right. And, you know, it, it might be small to us can be monumental to the person listening. Amen. I, uh, that's a great way to end, Brother Gillis. And yeah. I want to thank you for being with us. And I want to thank the few people I shared that we were going to be on this, uh, recording this podcast and ask them to please pray that we had good internet for the whole time. And we pretty much have. I've had a skip or two here, but it's gone real well. And I appreciate that. Appreciate our listeners. Uh, if I didn't mention your country a while ago, uh, forgive me. I'll try to mention it next time round. That's the first time I've ever tried thinking about all the places I know where this podcast is going. But we do appreciate this. And wherever you're at in the world, uh, if you are ready to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you believe that he is the Son of the living God, which he is, you're willing to, to confess that and repent of your sins, turn away from from uh, a life that goes away from God and turn toward God, and you would like to be baptized, immersed into Jesus Christ, uh, 
Find someone who will do that for you, who will immerse you for the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 2.38. If you cannot find them, get on our website, rocksolidministries.org. Go to the comment page and say, this is what you want to do. Could you help me? We will do everything we can to help you to find someone. And if we can't find them, if it's within our capabilities, we will come to you and baptize you into Jesus Christ. Because as Gillis says, you know, when God leads, you got to go. So we're, we're ready to do that. Uh, if this podcast has uh, encouraged you and you believe it would encourage someone else, please share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ. And uh, we hope that you'll be with us next time as we share with another frontline servant. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.